They are an astrologer and freelance writer, and we will be discussing Moon Goddess, Death, and Astrology. Sorry. Hi, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, just it's 2.27 in the afternoon, so I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> how, are, how are you both? <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. I am also tired. I'm living on coffee right now. So, and Marguerite, you're drinking tea, yes? Yeah, it's my third caffeinated beverage today. It's also 5.30 here, so. Vacation. I can do what I want. <laughs> huh? Third, though. Like, so you've had coffee before? Maybe tea before? I'm, I'm literally using spicy food to keep me up right now, so I understand. Mm, <laughs> That'll be after food. this. I'll be making breakfast after this because, listen, it's still breakfast because it's my first meal of the day, even though it's after afternoon. Okay. Time doesn't really exist, you know? Time is, like, just a construct anyway, so we can have breakfast whenever. Exactly. For real. Or I can just exist on Hobbit time, which means that I can have, like, 500 breakfasts, so it's Eleven Z's. Z's, two Z's. Fifth breakfast. Dinner. You know, it's all the same. <laughs> the Hobbits lived a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Marguerite, how are you doing, though? Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> like, I don't check in with you every single episode. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just excited to have Ari here to talk with us today, so. I'm excited to be here, yeah. Ari, is there anything you want to say? Oh, yeah, um, hi. I, I said hi already to everybody, but I'm excited to be on this podcast, like I said, um, I'm an astrologer. I used to do tarot readings, but they take up a lot of energy. So I'm really excited to really connect with people with astrology. It's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. It's something that I research in all the intersections that I live with in my identities. And astrology is also something that you can use to examine so many different topics of your life, including like your everyday routine, you know, like your family life. And even death, right? So I figured that'd be a good segue into that. For anyone who's listening, Ari is, I think, the most educated person on astrology that I've ever personally conversed with. <laughs> like, yeah. That's so sweet. That's really sweet. No, but legitimately, like, everything you know about decans and all of, like, the specifics, it's crazy to me. Have you... Have you set up your private practice yet, Ari, or no? Um, I actually am in the middle of doing research for it right now, so it will be set up sometime in June. But I want to be able to make sure that all the knowledge that I have, including all my sources, is like perfect and like ready for people to like understand in a way that's like practical to them, of course, mm-hmm. because that matters a lot, like how one understands the knowledge of astrology. That makes sense. I'm really excited for it, though. Yeah, I'm excited for that for you as well. And I'm excited for our listeners to get to experience that as well. I'm also excited if that means that I can purchase a personal reading. (laughs) I do, you know, as I am, you know, researching and doing stuff, I would like to do readings for people that I know. Just letting you know. So yeah, that way I can really not experiment with what I'm doing, but I, you know, I get to actually see in real time how I would examine someone's chart and how I would explain it to them. 
Mm-hmm. And also I get to see how like they react as well. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I will be financially compensating you because we do that because <laughs> we, everybody should be financially compensated for their time and efforts, especially in <laughs> these sort of fields. Just putting that out there for all of our listeners as well. Pay your readers. <laughs> all of your readers, your tarot readers, like all of them. All of them. Every single one. Don't question their prices. Unless they're trying to charge you like $500. That's a little ridiculous, but you know, oh, it, could yeah, be, that's... It, it could be a niche. <laughs> <laughs> I would never, but... Um, yeah, so do we want to talk about death first or... Or Mayati? Um, I actually am really excited to talk about death. So if you, if you both are ready to talk about death, that would be awesome. Sarah, I know that you said you had some ideas pulled for discussion. Yeah, we're always primed to talk about death, so... That's <laughs> what we do here. Oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so glad. It's. I feel like it's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. So I'm so, I'm really glad that both of you are really open to talk about death and like, that as a concept. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it is something that's obviously very highly stigmatized. But I think you know a lot of the premise behind this podcast too is normalizing those discussions because. I really think that it should be, like, a healthy discussion for every person to have. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, the stigmatization and, like, the... <laughs> there's this word that death doula, like, the Philly death doula uses, that's, like, death phobia, that, pe- that like, uh, people in the U.S. really... They have, well, the culture around death in the U.S. really makes people afraid of it. So they want to immortalize themselves which is understandable like it's not it's not surprising that it's something that's a scary topic for other people yeah the way that you just said that though really hit me (laughs) the way you said that they want to immortalize themselves because i'm not scared of death but i do have that like desire to immortalize myself so that (laughs) that's really interesting actually do you want to talk about your mausoleum plans, Brooke? <laughs> oh, mausoleum plans. Yeah. I, I would, I would I have... love to hear that. <laughs> Talk about immortalization. Oh, I have like the most ridiculously extravagant desires for my quote unquote funeral. Um but I just feel like it embodies who I am as a person and brings that into death, which, yeah, (laughs) I want like a full, I guess I can't like insert, I don't want to insert the picture. I need to keep some things private, but (laughs) Um, Marguerite has seen it. I have a picture of the tomb that I want built. I mean, I'll say it's like, it's an all black, like um, brick tomb that's like in the shape of a triangle. And (laughs) it's so ridiculous to, like, say just in front of people. Um, But that doesn't mean I still don't want it because I do. But, yeah, so inside the tomb, I plan. Okay, so I want to be cremated um, because the idea of bugs. I just I, I have like a bug phobia of them, like, touching me. So I don't want any of that happening to my body after I'm dead. Um. So I want to be cremated, but then I'm going to be put in like a handmade ceramic uh, vase, which is going to go inside of a coffin and it's going to be propped up on a table in the center of the tomb. And then I'm going to have like people maintaining fresh flowers in there. I want it to like smell good for my actual funeral. I have like a lot of stuff planned with like food and fragrances and stuff like that because I just want it to be, like, a full sensory experience. Yeah. I absolutely love it. No, no, like, I love it. <laughs> like, no, no question. I love the extravagance of it. I love the care of not only yourself, but everyone around you that experiences that death. Like, no, I understand. No. 
No judgment here. I I know it's ridiculous, but I want it to be pleasurable. Like I want my death to be a celebration and for it to be like to bring people pleasure because I know that you know, especially in western culture, we romanticize the idea of like a depressing like very grieving funeral. You know, and I just, I don't want that. I mean, people can still wear all black because that's my daily uniform, basically. But I don't want it to be just a grieving and a mourning. Like, I want it to be a celebration of life. And, yeah. Yeah, I think a large part of Western funerals and, like, Westernized grieving is... The fact that the mourning is seen as only sad versus not anything to be celebrated. And there are outliers in this, like the Irish um, are famous for celebrating via basically having parties for the people who have passed. Um, But it's just about bringing like laughter into the grieving process because laughter in the body it releases the tension and the sadness from it so if you can come together and mourn not even in a more like positive manner but like share stories tell jokes and um, make the mood lighter versus only harping on the fact that now the person is gone versus actually celebrating their life is the difference Yeah, no, like, you said with different cultures, especially, like, I know New Orleans, New Orleans specifically has, like, a very celebratory idea of what death looks like. So if you see funeral parties of, like, if you see funeral parties that happen in New Orleans of, like, black families, it's, like, really, they, I don't know what, like, they're usually wearing, but it's, like, very celebratory. There's a lot of laughter and, like, the way that they carry the casket is so specific as well it's very different than like what when we picture like a funeral home you know like yeah. and they're um but they're called jazz funerals yeah thank you oh thank they you have, so much um, I, parades through the street and like the people bearing the casket kind of dance as they march down the street exactly so i feel like that's such a different approach than like what is like a lot of other culture or like in the U.S., you know what I mean? Specifically, I'd say, like, yeah, in the U.S. And in the West. Yeah, definitely. I've I do... Been, oh, sorry, go. No, oh. Go ahead, Brooke. You're good. No, my thought was unimportant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was gonna just say that um, I have been to... Actually, I have been to a funeral that was specifically, like centered on what a celebration of life would be like wearing completely all white and I don't know if it's very common in the Philippines I don't know if it's a common thing but I guess like that's really common in my family so yeah like definitely something where it's like wearing all white and like sharing times of joy that you shared with the person who passed on yeah like that was a lot of what the focus was I think a lot of indigenous just cultures across the world tend to celebrate life more when it comes to funerals. You know, I think that a lot of the mourning is definitely more Western European centric, which I think also just relates back to like the way that Catholicism and Christianity sort of center death in that sort of way. Whereas I think a lot of indigenous cultures tend to be more celebratory and tend to consider it more as like a almost like a returning as opposed to like damnation or things like that which I think lends it to being more of a celebration which I think is really lovely for sure yeah I understand that like death is scary as a concept but like I think there's something that we can face in ourselves like on a smaller scale that makes us also more prepped for it in terms of like what we consider like a psychological death or like death of our past selves or like death of versions of us that no longer exist 
familiarizing ourselves with that concept um, and like familiarizing ourselves with that terminology, I think also helps us feel more comfortable in the long run with the inevitable. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I love that language. There's also too, I think one thing that um, you had mentioned earlier, Ari, uh, death doulas is like part of what they do is to help people with end of life planning and having those conversations before somebody dies, I think helps a lot in the grieving process as well, because it sets up the expectation that you will be losing this person at some point. So just to be able to acknowledge it before it actually happens, I think is really powerful and something we don't often do. Yeah, I definitely think when I've brought up my funeral plans, (laughs) I wish I need to find a different name for a funeral because I don't even want to come call it a funeral but for lack of a better word at this point in time for my plans like like a um, memorial or something memorial sounds you're like don't militarize me yeah uh i will come up with a better word and then we'll we'll copyright it (laughs) no but i i think (laughs) When I bring it up to people in my real life, um, a lot of them get very uncomfortable with the idea of me even discussing, you know, funeral or death plans because I'm obviously reminding them of the fact that, like, I'm going to die. But I think it's important to discuss these things because it is important to normalize just the conversation about it. And even like you said, Ari, that, like... um, the way that we even discuss it in a metaphorical or a psychological way, because we really do encounter like metaphorical and psychological deaths in life all the time. And I think creating that language around that to help normalize the idea of death is really pertinent. There's this um, great book I'm reading for my scared passages, death doula thing. And it's called Advice for Future Corpses, a practical perspective on death and dying. So it goes through like a basically end of life planning in a really accessible way. That sounds awesome. I've never heard that book, but I definitely will check it out after. I hope it's on script, but we'll see. Like it's. That seems something like uh, that's right up my alley. Like, yeah, there's like a whole yeah. mock thing at the end too of like, of your. Let me have it here. Let me look at it. Um, there's like a, a thing in here on how to set up a con a contract about. Oh yeah, it's it's um prepping your death plan. So and the. You're supposed to do it with, like, basically the people who who are going to bury you. So, yeah, because one thing I don't think, and I've mentioned it here before and elsewhere as well, is one thing that people don't realize is that um, the will, so a lot of people put what they want to happen with their body in their will, and your will doesn't get read till after you've already been buried. So how you want to be honored is usually ignored so you have to have these conversations while you're still alive if if your death plan is really important to you that is such a great point you know like now that i really think about it you're right like wow that's also so inconvenient to like read the will right after you've already been buried you know like why not read it i know things aren't always of convenience but it's like dang it should be a little bit more convenient yeah well i think it also has to do with the way that funeral homes especially in the u.s are just they're capitalistic machines so oh definitely i know that it's kind of arbitrary but i the idea that people wouldn't respect my death wishes after i've died it just feels incredibly disrespectful to me. Like if you, like it makes, I mean, I know I'll be dead. So like, I won't be able to question this, but like while I'm alive, I can. So the idea that people would disrespect me in death makes me question whether they really honored me in life. 
some people like after family members have died, they're like, oh, well, this family member wanted this, but like, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm just like, like, what? <laughs> like you, you cared for this person in real life, but now you just want to dishonor them in their death. Yeah, it's like a respect thing. And also, listen, I know that my plans are ridiculously extravagant, but I plan on setting the money aside so that there's enough money for this uh, death. Um, I'm still trying to think of another word, but for my death celebration, I guess, we'll just refer to it as that for now. I don't expect anybody else to fund this. Yeah, funerals are so exorbitantly expensive. Like, a cheap funeral is $10,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had to plan a funeral um, at 19. It really sucked. <laughs> but, yeah, they were... It was, like, $29,000. It was a really... It was a... Well, it was also an extravagant funeral. Let, let's be real. But it was a very expensive funeral, nonetheless. So when you had to plan that funeral, did the cost fall on you or was the cost covered by the person who had passed? So, yeah, it was luckily they had they had taken out life insurance. I forgot why on some. Yeah, but it was not on me. And I feel like I know my funeral. I feel like funeral should not cost anything. And I know they need to cost something because we live in a capitalistic society that what that's what it operates on right mm-hmm. but it's like the thought that a funeral can be expensive even cremating cremating a body like ugh. yeah that's true sometimes i'm like just it's expensive to live and it's equally as expensive to die it is like it's so oh my crazy God. to think about that yeah Ari, do you mind even the way that we die Mm-hmm. What's that? Oh, I was just gonna um, ask if, do you mind if I ask you um, to talk a little bit about your experience with having to plan that funeral? Um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about it. About it, I I like. I'll try to give us. Well, I'll give us a bunch of details. I'll feel comfortable mm-hmm. giving. Yeah, for sure. I planned it with my with one of my parents so it wasn't like myself thankfully but it definitely like I still had to be a part of it a large part of it yeah it was at a funeral home it was actually like a very sudden death so it was over the summer of my like first and second year of college so like I was already out of school back by then I wasn't in summer school or anything um I was like, oh, like, this is funny, but not funny. They were going to plan it on my birthday. <laughs> like, they were, pl- the person who had originally planned it was going to plan it for my birthday. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? Let's not so, yeah. do that. So then I got, yeah. So then I got involved because I was like, do not do that on my birthday. Um, what the fuck is that? So, yeah. It was like, not, how do I say this? The all, overall, the process took like six days mm-hmm. of like choosing, like getting, you know what was funny? Getting the funeral outfit. That was like also part of the process that you don't think about. Like we had to buy a suit for the person who was passing. Mm. Yeah. 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 That was part of the cause. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Honestly, the suit looks really nice. So, like, I'm, like, thinking about these in, like, not as serious terms. Because it's, like, yeah, like, they... We went to, like, Macy's to get, like, the f- the funeral clothes. You know what I mean? So, that was a really nice suit. That's so funny to think about, like, just casually shopping for, like, clothes for a dead body. <laughs> oh, you know what I actually think has a, a great scene like that is in Gilmore Girls when the grandmother passes um Rory and Lorelai have to go shopping for her outfits for what she's going to be buried in 
So if, um, and I actually think that's a pretty good um, portrayal of what something like that could be like. This was like if you were humorous about it, but um, yeah, not everybody has that luxury, of course. Yeah. Um, it also reminds yeah, me. When, uh, it, I was just going to say that I remember when my grandfather died. I didn't plan the funeral, but um, I watched my parents do it and the amount of choices they had to make. But luckily, my grandfather wore the same exact thing every single day. So we just buried him in that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Be buried in the clothes that you enjoyed and were comfortable in. He was a biker, so he had his leather fringe vest and a do rag. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah, his motorcycle was um, in the funeral home when we went. Yeah. You know, I think it does make it a lot harder, too, to plan these sort of things and make all these decisions when somebody doesn't have a plan in mind. Which is why Mm -hmm. I do think it's important to discuss these things before death. I mean, obviously, like, some deaths are abrupt or, you know, it just happens out of nowhere. But I think that, like, for the majority of people who realize that, like, at some point you're going to die, that it's important to have these conversations. Because I do think it is sort of difficult to place that burden on the people who are taking care of your funeral plans because, you know, it can be hard to make those decisions on, like, what are you going to put on them? Um, Are you going to do, are you going to have, like, a makeup artist? Um, I think most funeral homes do that, but, you know... What kind of casket? Mm-hmm. Do they want to be cremated? Those sort of oh, things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's... It's an incredibly difficult decision for the people making it, so... Yeah, I actually... Had, I had the luxury of talking to the person as they were, like, passing about the funeral details that they wanted. Just, like, major ones, you know, not obviously, like, what they wanted to pass... Like, actually, I think we did ask, like, what did they want to pass in, but, like... We ended ultimately we ended up choosing right, but certain details like couldn't be left out about what they wanted. The major details were there, and it was a it was really a luxury, and it was a privilege to be able to do that. Cause yeah, you're right. Some things happen so suddenly that some people just aren't prepared, and they don't get to have a funeral that's planned with the person. You know. Yeah. And that experience in itself is like so different. No, definitely. I mean, I've been to quite a few funerals in my life. Um, and yeah, the one that sticks out to me the most is when my grandfather died. And I mean, he did have cancer, so it was like, um, it wasn't really slow because he, I think he only had like six months, but I mean, that's still like a decent amount of time to like have these conversations and things like that. Um, and I wasn't really a part of the planning cause I was a teenager, but I just remember that his was more celebratory, which I thought was nice. especially considering that it was still like a church funeral because they're Presbyterian. Um, but like, I remember that they had all of these, um, boards that were made that had like tons and tons of pictures from like throughout his life and like pictures with like me and my other family members which was nice there was a few people that I mean this is typical I think of western funerals for people to get up and speak about um the person who has passed but like some of my cousins got up and spoke and it just seemed quite nice for a funeral like it was more celebratory than like other ones that I've been to understandably that's I'm glad that it was like a celebration of life I was gonna say we just also to like move into the other things that we wanted to discuss I mean we can always come back to that I was also gonna segue (laughs) but 
Uh, I was going to say, we just had a full moon in Scorpio. Um, so with the moon yes. also comes different moon goddesses. And uh, Ari, you wanted to share about uh, Mayati. Yes, Mayati is the moon goddess in what is considered the Tagalog pantheon. Uh, Tagalog or the Tagalog people are one of the ethnolingual groups that, the pretty much the majority ethnolingual group that is in the Philippines right now. Yeah, so I, even if you aren't necessarily Tagalog, you learn about Tagalog pantheon, but like the majority of the country is still like Catholic, of course. Um, the pantheon existed prior to the like the colonization of the Philippines and they existed in text. They were also adapted through the time that was like during the colonization, but like recently Filipino diaspora and people who are also in the homelands are trying to reconnect with a lot more with like this, these pantheons and like talk about their like tales and like the origin story that exists. Yeah. Mayati's origin story is really fascinating to me. And this is according to one legend of course so there's a lot of different versions of this legend depending on like where you're from you know like mayati is also part of two other people um two other ethnolingual groups pantheons so like mayati is not just like bound to tagalog like to the tagalog pantheon itself do you want to um share with us the origin story that you know of course yeah so this is the origin story that i was taught um by other like Filipino divination practitioners. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> Mayari is actually um, the daughter, not the daughter, she has siblings, so she's not like an only child. So, Mayari is the daughter of what is the all knowing goddess Batala, she, like basically like the god of gods, as we say. And so, there's, so there's Mayari, but Mayari has an older brother named Apalaki, and then also another sibling i don't remember what if they're older or younger but that is the goddess of like the day mayati is the goddess of the moon and abalaki is considered the god of the sun and the reason why is because in the origin story Bathala asked them and gave them the earth and asked if they could share the day and the night like the day the, day, the night cycle and abalaki well, Mayati was willing to share and was like, I don't mind taking half the de- half of this time with you during this day. But Apalaki wanted to... Give me one moment. Someone's knocking at the door. Okay. I'm at the part where I was explaining Apalaki and the siblings. Oh, yeah. The other sibling is Hanan. Pretty, pretty much like the goddess of like the dawn. Yeah, dawn. You know, like that, like transitional period, but like you know, she rules different parts in different areas, of course. But so Apolaki is the is the brother, the actually the god of the sun and also war, I suppose. But like really much the sun, and he, one day he decided that he wanted to rule the world all by himself. He wanted to like take it over, and Mayati said, "No, all three of us should rule equally, and we should we should all like share it as siblings." An Apolaki casted a stone at her and blinded her eye. And and then he was actually... So he blinded one eye and the other one was still there. When he realized how much he hurt Mayari, um, he was like, oh, let's no longer fight. And I agree with you. Let's rule equally. So Apolaki took the daytime this, and that's, he rules the sun. And Mayari rules the nighttime and rules the moon. And that's why the moon only ha- is like a dimmer light. So yeah, that is Mayari, the moon goddess. Not a whole man hurting a woman to then learn his mistake. I know. Actually. <laughs> and, then, and then he was like, oh, I, I guess. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Let's learn now. <laughs> like, like, let me take your eye first. Yeah. Like, so typical of a man. I was reading this, and I was so mad after. I was like... I know. Especially, like, because he's the god of war, too. Like, it's really interesting the way that we, like, the way, like, people conceptualize, like, what war looks like and, like, what harm looks like in, like, deities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think it's really interesting though that especially considering like different pantheons across the world are obviously so far separated, but that like moon goddesses still have like the same um what are they called? Like um they rule the same parts of like strength, war, beauty, equality and things like that. Cause that's yeah, also the hunt too. That's yeah. what I was reading too. Yeah. The hunt, yes. yeah. Athena, um oh, Artemis. God, what it Artemis. Um no, but what's the Roman one? Well, I Diana. Oh yeah, Diana. Yeah. Anna. Celine. Um yeah, Celine, Mayati, like they all have like similar um things that they are the goddess of, even across like like as Mayati as well. Mm-hmm. It's really like it's so fascinating and just moon goddess. Like we all so did we all just agree? No, <laughs> like I I really love the creation story and I really like I really like the concept, but I guess, like, the way that I consider, like, deities, I, I'm i so literal with things, just the way that I conceptualize things, mm-hmm. right? That, like, a lot of what I consider deities, like, power is, like, their power of symbolism and, like, what you're able to interpret in their symbols and, like, the symbols that they rule, right? And what we assign to them. Yeah. I figure that's something that's, like, really, like, a practice of like and like a way of worshiping or not worshiping but like working with deities that don't necessarily involve like worship is like using their symbolism to help you Mm. definitely so can you talk a little bit oh i was just gonna say how would you honor mayati under like moon rituals it's pretty like so yeah, for me, for me personally, like, I do f- fairly simple moon rituals, and I don't, like, I don't necessarily do, like, specific things, because I'm not, like, trained under, like, certain practices. Yeah, so, like, it practices in, like, the Philippines, like, you have to be basically trained under, to, like, to do certain things. But there are actually a lot of, like, there's things like Kulam and Hilot and, like, it all, there's different branches of, like, of spellcraft and, like, of magic in the Philippines that, like, use different rituals and traditions and, like, different things to honor the whatever pantheon and whatever gods and, like, goddesses they choose to work with. Oh, that's so cool. Whatever, like, deities they choose to work with. Huh? Said, that's so cool. Is, like, um, yeah. so in the Philippines is honoring those traditions and being trained seen as more of a um I don't want to use the word normal but just like an accepted part or just because I know that like you said the Philippines is primarily catholic um and I mean in a lot of like western cultures like witchcraft and like honoring deities and stuff is still seen as like demonization and things like that yeah yeah definitely colonization impacted the way that like people of that land were able to practice their like traditions like the demonization of it the like outlawing of like certain practices there's actually a lot of indigenous like practices in the philippines that exist to this day that actually like not like they're religious they are religious but in nature but a lot of them are like to do with like eating so like there's certain food preparation techniques that are outlawed in the philippines that um that, eat, that, like, people in the northern part of Luzon, which is, like, the northern part of the island, are actually banned from doing that prevent them from, like, eating, like, specific chicken that, like, live in that, like, and preparing it the way that they have done traditionally for thousands of years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's because of colonization, unfortunately. But, um, and uh, really interestingly enough, so, like, indigenous, like... I guess, like, I don't, I hate the term witch doctor. It's not a great term. So, like, indigenous healers and practitioners still exist in, like, villages. Like, people go to them pretty much. Like, they go to them first and just to, like, assess what's going on. Like, so there's still 
pretty much like a routine part even though like still majority catholic like there's still syncretism that happened and like people still look to like indigenous healers mm. regardless which is pretty cool yeah like so people still do something called hilo hilo is like the specific like herbal medicine practice that's like the herbal spiritual like medicine practice in the philippines so like people like go to people who do hilo still which is mm-hmm. but yeah for me personally i do like simple rituals to honor the moon usually during like meditating and like writing to, to the moon goddess under the moon yeah what drew you to start working with this goddess i really wanted to reconnect back with like I really want to reconnect back with, like, part of myself that I really tried to cut myself off from, especially being, like, of, like, the Filipino diaspora. But even though I myself... There's, like, a complicated relationship with, like, being able to access gods that, like, I... Well, because of colonization, right? So, like, a lot of information has been lost, has been, like, buried away, has been, like, taken away from, like, Ilocano people and, like, my... And, like, diaspora people to be able to, like, study and practice and understand our traditions, like, Ilocano, like, traditions in the Pantheon. So something that's wildly used is, like, the Tagalog Pantheon. And that's, like, my first language is Tagalog. And so that's why I wanted to reconnect with this Pantheon specifically. And I wanted to, and I'm really comfortable working underneath, like, the moon and using moon's energy. So I feel like Mayari was just someone, like, or, like, it's just, like, a goddess a deity that's like not the first choice but like it seemed like definitely like the choice that I wanted to make especially with like how comfortable I was with working with the moon already I work still largely with like the celestial bodies in my practices because um I'm really comfortable using them especially with using astrology a lot like celestial bodies for spells and like for deep like for like that kind of spell work is like my preferred method still. Wait, okay. So how do you use celestial bodies in your work then? I use celestial bodies by directly like you can like set up altars directly for celestial bodies themselves and work directly with like celestial body energy. Yeah. Kind of like similar in how you can just like yeah, I don't know how like with Jupiter energy with like with, like, Venus energy, with moon energy directly. Okay, yeah. so, like, with planetary I, energy. Like, that's why I use astrology, too, because, like, under specific moon, uh, under specific transits with, like, with the planets themselves, right? Like, you can use that energy underneath them to do spell work and then use, like, directly tap into that planetary energy. Um, the reason that I use, like, specific celestial bodies to work with as opposed to like deities is because like with the examination of like astrological transits I feel really comfortable like like tapping into that like either like the astrological bodies like, as they actually like move you know like like during specific seasons you know d- during like full moon transits like working with the sun or the moon during that time is just really comfortable rather than, like, a deity. But I don't know if that's... Yeah. I think that's really... And working directly with... Mm. Oh, sorry. Continue. Mm. Oh, no. I just, like... I felt like that was the most... I felt like people can interpret deities and, you know, like, that's... and But, like, interpreting planets is something that is more literal to me and that made more sense to me. And I reconnected with, like, specific deities or specific pantheons because of, like... I wanted to reconnect back with, like, you know, spiritual, like, with, like, traditions of, like, things that I was disconnected from rather than, like, for a specific work, like, for a specific, like, result reason. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's really cool that you're able to work with transits in, like, um, in, like, a... Uh, ritual way because 
I'm like still trying to understand transits in that sort of sense. So it's so just like out of my realm of expertise. So I love that you're like, I love that you have that foundation and that like you have that knowledge because I feel like transits are so for me at least is like someone who's still learning astrology. It's so difficult for me to conceptualize like I understand what it means, but it's like still building that knowledge because there's so many transits that are occurring and like what specifically that means in juxtaposition of different planets. So I love that you're able to like utilize what's currently in the sky in your practice because it just makes sense though. Like it does make sense. Like why wouldn't you use the current energies in order to enhance your work? Because it's what's currently occurring. I think maybe like a good way to start with that on a really basic level is to track the moon phases and what sign the moon is in too. Um, Also helps with mood tracking as well. So that's something I do. Um, I'm also still learning transits as well, but I do find tracking the specific phases of the moons and um, tracking what sign they're in helps me gauge of when I might want to do this ritual versus that ritual. Yeah, Margaret, no, Margaret, you're absolutely right. That's actually how I started, like, learning transits and really trying to keep up with, like, transits at all. Because, like, the moon is the one that changes the most often and will will be the one that will be interacting with planets the most, you know, as as it moves. Like... If you also think about the moon and the way that it interacts with planets, like moon void, of course, quite literally means like when the moon makes no aspects, major aspects to like any of the planets. Right. So like that shows you like, oh, you can work with different like with a different planet today. Like, see, like, where's the sun going? Like, what day is it? Like, is it Sunday? Like, what planets do you work with? So, yeah, that's really using planetary energy for spell work is like helpful and very literal Mm, yeah I guess I do sort of do that but I just never thought about it in that sense because like I pay attention to like what sign the moon is in and I mean I just use apps to see what the transits are at this time but I normally take whatever is currently occurring in order to like do it but I can't like I can't read a chart and know these transits are occurring like I just I rely on the on the apps to tell me like what my personal transits are at this time it just takes practice you know like it's like math but like in a different way (laughs) if that's literally how I think about astrology is math you know so it's like it just takes practice and I think it's really I'm so excited about these apps being able to like track these transits down like down with like accuracy like doing them myself can be tiring you know yeah no definitely also if we're talking about astrology apps i'm just gonna mention for our listeners do not use costar or time passages i mean sorry not not time passages passages. the pattern the pattern the pattern the the pattern doesn't actually tell you the transits um it'll it'll just give you like an arbitrary this is what type of phase you're in right now type deal sorry my cat is eating in the background (laughs) what it (laughs) it's what the jingling bell is so but yeah oh but i do recommend time passages is my favorite app especially if you're gonna be tracking transits it's very good with that yeah I agree. And it's free. I mean, I think you have to like purchase your birth chart and stuff like that, but I mean, it's not like expensive to do. It's 99 cents. Yeah. Oh, so that is, yeah. yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. I don't use apps very often, but I really feel like I should. <laughs> you don't need to though. Your brain is that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I just don't want to use my brain. <laughs> Sometimes like, I just want to look at an app and be like, oh, yes, I can do this ritual today. <laughs> but I use a lot of brain power for, like, analyzing what part of my chart needs 
like just doing birth chart analysis, you know, so like natal chart analyses. I did, yeah, I was going to say, I did have, I did want to talk about astrology and death, but I figured, like, some other time, like, because you can look at death and astrology, right, so. We have time for it today, if you'd like to talk about it. Mm. Yeah, because I wanted to just kind of talk about, like, how we can familiarize ourselves with, like, not what death we're going to have, because that's not the kind of, like, astrologer that I am. <laughs> you know, like, I, I like, looking about, like, what do we fear in death? Kind of, like, looking at, like, what things do we fear losing? Or what fears, what things do we fear losing in, like, a psychological way? Or, like, there's so many different forms of death that we talked about before. That we talked about, like, psychological death. Like, we have to also talk about, like, the death, like, that other people around us deal with. So... You can look at all of that in a birth chart. And I think that's like a, a good thing, a good topic to talk about. What um, planets or transits are you looking at for that? Oh, I'm looking at like just houses. Like I was like t- going to talk specifically about houses. We can also talk about planets as well. But like, yeah, like in a birth chart, you know, there's like all these different houses and all these houses are representative, are representative of like, different parts of our like psyche as well as different parts of excuse me our life that we deal with like the eighth house and the twelfth house are like the two primary houses to look at when thinking about death as like a lot of like a lot of people there's a lot of like romanticization about like what the twelfth house is as well as fear-mongering about like what like the eighth house is and everything you know but i think both of those houses when looking at it from a more neutral perspective you can look at like what does what things about death scare you on on things that you didn't really think about which is the 12th house or things that you constantly think about that's on your mind which is like the 8th house oh yeah yeah sorry i was like do you have any like specific questions like i don't know yeah um, i just think it's you... really interesting to think of it in that way what were you saying though marguerite I was just, I was just gonna ask Ari to expand on what we're looking at when we're looking at both the eighth and the twelfth house. Of course, yeah. So when we look at, I'm gonna explain it house by house. Is that cool with y'all? Like, uh, yeah, perf. Okay, so, so if we take, so like the houses themselves, you know whether or not they're empty and have planets in them, you know like they still exist and like. Empty houses still give you a lot of room about, like, what like what will happen to you, even if you have an empty eighth house. So the eighth house can be, like, representative of these psychological deaths because they represent transformations. So your transformations about, like, the things that you go through in your life, either whether it be, like, anything traumatic or something significant, like house ownership, or, like, that's, like, something that's really significant to us, right? Like, as, like, younger people, but, like, whether or not you receive stability, your financial support, like really your eighth house shows kind of like what transformations and what psychological deaths that you'll be like encountering through your life, like what things and what feelings of discomfort you're going to be encountering versus the 12th house, which is quite literally like the death of you, like the death of you. It, It can show like what things you truly fear and what things around death that like you should like talk to yourself about as you like go through life because as we talked about earlier familiarizing yourself with death as as a concept and like having these conversations with yourself and your loved ones can really help you feel more comfortable as you confront death head-on so yeah that's like what the 12th and 8th yeah because the 12th the 8th house is representative of taboos that we are really conscious of while the 12th house is representative of like taboos that we like or, like, not even taboos, but things that we, like, keep hidden away from us that we don't know. Like, literally the things that we don't know that we know. Sorry, we don't know that we don't know. There we go. Yeah. Very much things that we keep away from us subconsciously. Yeah, and if you don't have, have planets in those houses, like, a way to gauge is to, like, figure out what the planetary ruler for the house is and then learn about the that ruler and how that might affect the house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, like, for example, like, 
having certain planets in those houses can kind of make you very conscious about death and what death looks like to you. Even if you don't have planets in those houses, you can still be very conscious about what death looks like. You know, like, in terms of leaving legacies, you know, like, that is a part of death that we, like, that some of us can really think about. So, like, if you have prominent sun or Leo touching your, like, eighth, pretty much you, you think about, like, what legacies you pass on as you, like, what legacy that you leave as you, like, live through your life. And, like, as you... I say this as a person with Sun in the Eighth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah, Sun in the Eighth kind of gives you this idea of, like, psychological death because you constantly transform your identity and, like, what revitalizes you. So, like, the legacy that you leave behind is also something that you, you leave in your mind because who you are and who you are becoming is something that is, like, on the, for, on the forefront of the brain. Yeah, that's really interesting. Oh, Oh, I was just going to say, I have a a stellium in my eighth house. Oh, yeah. That makes so much sense. See, here you are, like, comfortable talking about death and, like... Yeah, it's it's, um, my outer planets. So Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus, I think, if I'm remembering right. Wow, so there's a lot of, like... So just a lot of and, like, and my Pluto is in Scorpio. Focus so. and like, yeah. oh wow, wow. So yeah, <laughs> oh my god. So really like a heavy focus on like what death looks like conceptually, what death you want, like what death you want to like, or how you want to like leave a mark. Something about like rebellion, you know, like because with Uranus, I'm very much like. Oh, wait, and then Pluto. Controlling death. Not necessarily controlling death, but, like, what does what power does death have over you? And what power do you have over it? Kind of, like, that kind of thing. I have, like, my sun, Mercury, and Venus in it, so I'm thinking about oh, it. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, I don't have anything in the 8th house, um, but my Ju- Jupiter is in Libra in the 12th house. Oh, big thoughts about Grand, wow, grand death. I also have a planet in the 12th house, but... I was reading my little, like, blurb about Libra and Jupiter in the 12th house, and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense <laughs> when it comes... Because you want to have, like, a... Pl- you want you want to have people to have an pleasurable, extravagant experience even at the time of your death. Yeah. My 8th house would be because I don't have any planets in it. Do you know what the planetary ruler is? Yeah. yeah, so what sign is in your eighth house right now? Um I don't know, I have if, to look. <laughs> if if you're looking at it on the wheel, so, yeah. it's usually written on the outside of the real wheel, right Ari? It's like on the outside oh, end. Yeah. Oh I Gemini. Say, I would also say so Mercury in the eighth house, like, so your planetary ruler of your eighth house is Mercury, mm. which something you know like with Mercury as your eighth house ruler, it's something you think about. It's something that you like talk about, obviously. Like having Mercury as a ruler there is pretty much like talk about death, talk about taboo, something that you're interested in. It's something that you investigate. Oh, that's yeah. definitely true. Death is an interest. Death is an interest, you know, like having like planets in the eighth house kind of make you feel more comfortable about talking about death and these uncomfortable subjects that people like I feel like having planets in the eighth and twelfth house make it so like to some people, you know, like this is not a big deal. Like death is something that should be talked about not every day, but like all the time. <laughs> Thus, here we all are on this podcast about death. Yeah. <laughs> See? Here we go. No, I love talking about death, yeah. anything taboo. I just think it's really fascinating. Yeah. And I think we should also make it clear for our audience that, like, your astrological chart can't predict death. No, definitely not. That's why I... Oh, my God. I don't, like... Sometimes, like, I worry when people ask me, like, when I talk about death and astrology, that they ask about that, it's like, 
Um, I'm not really concerned about that type of death, and I'm not... Like, we we know so little about death on that type of level that it's like, how can we predict it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we we can't answer questions that we don't necessarily have answers to on a, on a natal chart like that. Um, can you use your astrological chart to help you identify ways that are productive for you to grieve? Definitely. Um, that's such a great question, Margaret. Yeah, like, I'm kind of, like, anti-five stages of grief, like, because, like, the five stages of grief grief exist as a, a model for one person to actually accept their own death, not bereavement. So it's not about, like, how you grieve something else. Yeah, like, um, because, especially when it comes to death of people that are close to you, you you can't just accept it and move on. It's something that is like, like an adjustment of your whole life. So it's not like, you know, it's not like something like, oh, accept it and like, oh, we can just move on easily. Like it's never that easy when it comes to like bereavement or like grieving another person. But definitely like grieving like yourself, grieving like, you can look at your moon in your natal chart. You can look at like aspects of your moon and kind of like, how I was actually going to say you can actually look at the parallels or the contra parallels to kind of see how your moon is impacted during like these difficult situations and to see like what support that you may give yourself so that's one way you can talk about like how grief and like how supporting yourself through that grief looks like on a natal chart is really looking about what support you need during these like I would say like if you if your moon makes any like connection to like Saturn you know, you're going to be facing some, like, emotionally tough times. So, like, that kind of support, that like, mo- like, you might need more emotional support in those areas during those times. Yeah, I'm not saying that, like, th- that aspect always means emotional tough times, of course. But Saturn typically does mean, like, trials and tribulations and moon has to do with, like, emotional patterns. So, yeah, I don't want to scare people with, with like, moon Saturn placements because like moon saturn placements aren't bad saturn is a mis not not misunderstood but like i mean saturn is kind of mean but like i don't want people to hate saturn (laughs) yeah i would say okay do you so when you're talking about this do you mean in like a natal transit or in like a transit that is occurring when the death occurs or both you can do both you can actually do both. Like, the awesome thing about astrology is that, like, when you look at your natal chart and you look at things that are, like, innate to you, right? You can, like, really see how you, like, just innately react in a situation. But, like, the transit shows you kind of, like, what kind of emotional piles are on you during that time. So let's say, like, let's say you have, like, a water moon. And during the time that you're experiencing this, like, heavy grieving, you're, it's, like, also during a water moon transit or like a water sun like you know there's like a water sun transit like touching your like water moon that could just mean to like you're already kind of emotional about it so you need to really feel it and be in your emotions about it because like that water means that you need like like all these like water placements means that like all these emotions are going to be at the forefront anyway so there's no point running away from it Hmm. versus like let's say like another transit could be different depending on like where it is in your houses or like where it is also like it lines up in your houses so yeah it's really like a lot you can do a lot but the whole point of it is it's a kind of yeah the hardest part about astrology is kind of like knowing how to apply all that knowledge isn't it yeah you're giving me so much interesting things to to think about like especially when it comes to doing any sort of like moon honorings or consideration of death or the way that the transits transits work with my personal chart and how I experience those things and articulate them I was just looking too when you were talking about that to see if I had any Saturn transits with my moon Um, but fortunately it's a sextile so we're good on that but I realized that I my needle yeah I realized that my natal moon phase is the balsamic moon, which I had to Google what a balsamic moon was. And then I found out it's like the um, last crescent. 
So I wonder if. Yeah, so it says that the um, hold on, the balsamic noon, also known as the waning crescent, is the final sliver of lunar light in the sky before the birth of the new moon. This occurs when the moon is less than 45 degrees behind the sun and it visually looks like a crescent in the sky. So it's like the three days before the new moon. Um, which I think is interesting, and maybe I need to start working with that moon more often. I mean, yeah, I was going to say that. And also look at your planetary returns, like your Venus returns and like seeing what transits like the current Venus is making to your Venus or like that's another way of working with your like chart and like working with the planets in an easy way that it also involves other planets other than the moon. Oh, what is that? Actually, the moon's a luminary, but, you know. you know. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I'm in my Saturn return right now, which started early for me, but. Yeah, I think as, as much as people want to make fun of people like us for being super in love with Mama Luna, everybody is missing out. <laughs> Just saying. There's a lot. There's a lot here, guys. Get with it. Honestly, like, yeah. Like, even just, tra- like, like tracking where the moon is literally, like, changed my life. Because I was like, <laughs> why do I feel this way? And then I was like, oh, the moon is in this right now. No wonder, my, no wonder I'm feeling like shit. So, like, it really helps. Like, I can't do anything on a void moon day. Also, anyone that works in any sort of industry where you have to be in contact with a large amount of the public knows that full moons is when the craziest shit happens at work. Like, things are just wild. Like, even people who don't really know astrology that well or don't even really, like, believe in it will always be like, oh, it's a full moon. Like, watch out for work today. It's about to be crazies. But thanks so much for inviting me on again. I really enjoyed talking to y'all about this and like talking death with y'all. Yeah, it was really a pleasure having you. I'm so excited we were able to have you on. Where can everybody find you? Um, you can find me on Saturn's Resident um, on Instagram, but I'm going to be changing my handle soon. So hopefully, yeah, but not too soon. Yeah, Saturn's Resident on Instagram. I don't really update anything else. Um, but yeah. All my other links are there, and you can find me on my GoFundMe, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, I'll be linking Ari's GoFundMe and Ari's Instagram down in the show notes. So if they've changed their handle by the time you see this, um, it'll it'll be down. I'll correct down below for y'all. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, all you warriors from the void, on this special guest episode as part of our goddess series with the lovely Ari check us in our next episode on the three of pentacles don't forget to rate subscribe and review wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode and don't forget to follow us on instagram at death becomes tarot for even more juicy content also go follow Ari okay 